0: What's going on, everyone? Jason Brown here, co-host and producer of the Climbing the Pocket podcast, back with a special edition of the show. On this episode, friend of the pod and most hated, maybe, journalist on Vikings Twitter at the moment, Matthew Collar joins me for a special sit-down interview via the magic of the internet and all that good stuff. In this interview, we cover a wide range of topics, including Teddy Bridgewater, Kirk Cousins, Matt's background as a sports journalist, his new roles, things he's reading to keep himself up to date with football, and a host of other things. It was a lot of fun to record with Matt, thankful for him coming on. If you like the episode, let me know what you think. If you don't like the episode, let me know what you think. Uh, Yeah, that's enough talking for me. Here comes the show. All right, we're live. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, very, very, uh, very happy to be joined this evening by uh, by friend of the show and currently, I don't know, maybe Public Enemy Number One on on Vikings Twitter, Matthew Collar. Thank you for coming on the Clapping the Pocket Podcast.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me. I am a fan of the podcast, and I would hope that I'm actually not Public Enemy Number One. I hope you're just I hope you're just messing with me because. I, I need I'm, I desperately need the engagement on Twitter to, uh, you know, make friends online and things like that. I, I, I don't want to be controversial and upset anyone.
0: <laughs> well, then we might need to go about uh, we, we might need to figure out uh, a different way to go about what you're doing, because, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> late night Twitter rants about how good Teddy Bridgewater might have been. I mean, you know, that's that's pouring salt, Matthew. What, what was that all about? Why are you the way you are? Why why are you doing these things <laughs> to us?
1: And and Bro. reopening old wounds. Uh, Well, I'll tell you, uh, sometimes I just end up down a rabbit hole like anybody else where you start looking into one thing and then you look into the next thing and then you end up finding a bunch of tape or a bunch of stats because what else do I have to do? I do not have a robust social life, if you haven't noticed. I'm mostly just like like everybody else on Vikings Twitter looking at football even in the middle of February. And, you know, I realized the other night that I have never – gone back and looked at Teddy Bridgewater's 2015 pro football focus stats that I've watched back that 2015 season a couple of times, especially as a refresher when I thought it was possible that the Vikings would bench Case Keenum and put in Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, after the game in Carolina last year, I thought, well, you know, I don't know, is Mike Zimmer looking for an excuse to get Teddy back in there? Um, so, you know, I went back and watched a, a bunch of those games and things like that, but I never went through the the PFF quarterback stats, so I decided to poke through them. And boy, they are really illuminating for telling the Teddy Bridgewater story that sometimes I get amazed that people who watched all of those games as big-time Vikings fans just didn't see it or didn't want to see it with Teddy Bridgewater. The The number of throws that uh, were dropped, the number of times he was forced to throw the ball away because Matt Khalil and TJ Clemmings were the tackles the big-time throws on third down, uh, you know, stuff like that. The adjusted completion percentage was just through the roof um, when you take away those throwaways and the drops and things like that. And then even when you look at how he performed throwing to individual wide receivers and who his wide receivers were that, of course, Mike Wallace didn't work out very well. But, you know, throwing to Rudolph, throwing to Diggs, throwing to Jarius Wright, he just had impressive, impressive numbers. And people focus so much on that touchdown stat that I think if you're still talking about the touchdown stat, you've probably just stuck your head in the sand and said, he wasn't good. He wasn't good. I, I studied his throwing motion at Louisville and I know he wasn't good. And, and that stuff just, that drives me crazy. So every once in a while, I kind of have to go back and, and take a look. And it really does feel like such a travesty for Minnesota fans that Teddy Bridgewater ended his time in Minnesota the way he did, just without even getting that second chance to show people he could bounce back
0: yeah yeah but you you mentioned something there that uh I feel like maybe is at the root of many of the issues that uh it seems like you have with the the general fan base there that you're uh unflinching uh you know pushing back against kind of volume stats and the narrative that volume stats have built around many quarterbacks kind of going into the season, you know Kurt cousin four thousand yards coming out of this season, you know Kurt cousin and the four thousand yards and You know, those different things. Teddy Bridgewater only having 14 touchdowns. What is it about, I guess, the stats that we all grew up on and, and were told are the things that tell us the story about football um, what is it about those stats
1: that seem to bother you so much, especially when it comes to the quarterbacks? <laughs> because they lie to us constantly. That's why. Because they do not tell us the truth or any sort of context about what actually happened and what leads to winning. I, I think, you know, there's always this debate that comes down to QB wins. And you see people make fun of it all the time of like, haha, ha this bad quarterback won some games that one year. Ha-ha, <laughs> QB wins. Or... You know, a quarterback had a bunch of great stats and didn't win. Like, but the thing that we're all trying to figure out is what equates to winning. And that's how we evaluate, right? When you go to the NFL combine and you look at these players, you're looking for who will help you win the most football games. And that's why you draft them. And yet we seem to not always look at quarterbacks, this way and maybe wide receivers too to some extent we look at the number of catches they had the number of touchdowns the number of yards but usually if you're catching 90 balls with a bunch of touchdowns and yards you did pretty well I think that one shows you quite a bit but with quarterbacks you know Cousins and Bridgewater are the ultimate examples of how these things can lie to you because if you watched every single game it's almost impossible to walk away from Kirk Cousins season and say yeah that was great Like, I mean, just look at the the big games that they had, especially the last one in in week 17, you need a big performance and it wasn't there. Look at the third downs. Look at how many times that he patted the ball and stood in the pocket and nothing happened. And, you know, he still ends up with 4,000 yards, but go to Chicago at soldier field and they're down what 22 to six or something. And then he starts throwing up and down the field. We saw that so many times. And with Bridgewater, they were often in close games they were often winning games that year that he would get them ahead by sustaining drives. They scored on a high percentage of their drives. They were seventh in the league in their scoring percentage. So he was making sure he was producing points. He didn't turn the ball over very often, which we know uh, equates to winning when quarterbacks do not turn the ball over. And cousins was the opposite and gave the opposition, I think 35 free points on fumbles for touchdown or pick sixes. And and so when it, it takes really only a couple of seconds to realize why 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns just don't mean a whole lot toward winning for how good your quarterback played. And I think that that's why it drives me so crazy is because, you know, when you do a more honest evaluation of Kirk Cousins, you see just how much certain things impacted him not having the number three wide receiver, what the pressure did to him uh what the offense was designed to do which was basically try to make up for how poor the offensive line was by having quick throws and then also some of his shortcomings of not taking risks not doing the thing that case keenan was so good at which is just throw it up to Diggs and Thielen. he seemed to be kind of averse to that and that's what the numbers underneath the surface will tell you he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the nfl on third and long And Teddy Bridgewater was one of the best. And third and long, that's where drives get sustained. That's how you produce points. And just because one quarterback had a running back in Adrian Peterson that got the ball every time they were in the red zone and Kirk Cousins got to throw it every time they were in the red zone does not mean that one ran a more effective offense than the other. So, you know, I mean, it's it's really – it's not Teddy versus Kirk exactly. It's really like one season that a quarterback played was decidedly better than the other one, but didn't win you a fantasy championship.
0: Ooh, coming for fantasy Twitter
1: and Kurt Cousins
0: Twitter all at the <laughs> same time. You're a brave man, Matthew Collar. You're a brave man. I guess a question I have for you, because, because I guess so much of what the fan base wants you to do is really you know prop up Kirk Cousins, say nice things about him. It seems or it feels like a lot of what you have to say about Kurt Cousins is, is negative. I guess if I had to ask you where you see Kurt Cousins as a quarterback amongst all the other quarterbacks in the nfl like where does he fall for you where does where does he rank because sometimes people might feel like just based on the tone of some of the conversations that you think he's absolutely terrible
1: <laughs> well let me say this about the positive negative and hater or fanboy or whatever is i think what's hard for people to get their mind around is that i am none of those things that i don't care. Like I don't have a dog in the fight. I just do the job that I'm supposed to do as a Vikings reporter and analyst. Like I didn't grow up here. I have no purple in my closet. Like I only look at these things through a black and white type of lens, like a lawyer would with a case. And when you look at Kirk Cousins and the bigger picture with him, you get this portrait of what Kirk Cousins is. It's, it's hard to rank where somebody would be in the NFL. I mean, I guess middle of the pack, but with Kirk, he can be much better than he was, but his floor is probably close to what we saw this year, which is why for Vikings fans, it was so disappointing. But what I try to do with any quarterback, whether it's Teddy or whether it's uh, Kirk Cousins or Jameis Winston or whoever else, you know, uh, Andrew Luck, whatever it might be, I would look at all the facts that we have and put them together to try and form a full opinion. And with Kirk cousins, what I saw was that he desperately needs more help, which is really hard to do when he gets paid as much as he's paid. And there are some serious shortcomings that I think have led him to be around a 500 quarterback that I think are going to be really tough to make up for. I mean, I I don't think this is really even a hot take. I mean, sometimes it, it feels like, Uh, People act like I'm just taking a flamethrower to Kirk Cousins. There are plenty of positives with Kirk Cousins in his game that you see. He's incredibly accurate most of the time, and he has a good arm, and he can execute an offense, and he is one of the most well-prepared and smart quarterbacks about the game of football that you're ever going to run into. But then there are those other things, too. And why? I like to use Teddy Bridgewater as an example is because of how different they are. In contrast, where Bridgewater didn't have the big fantasy stats, he was great at extending plays and making a big play on third down and and leading to winning. And then he also had a locker room presence that Kirk Cousins simply does not have. And we saw that throughout the season, the way that he handled uh, some of the ups and downs I don't think that anyone in the locker room was very pleased with. So, you know, I mean, these are all things of just looking at what the facts are and trying to present them in the best way that I can. So there are lots of good things that cousins does that earned him an $84 million uh, contract. And there are lots of things that are drawbacks that have led him to be a 500 quarterback. So as I'm trying to categorize it, it's probably easier to put it in, in some sort of tier of like the quarterbacks who are virtually untouchable and could win with almost anything then guys who, if they have a good team, they've got a chance to win the Super Bowl. And I think he's behind those guys. I think if he has a really good supporting cast, he's still one step behind. And I think we saw that in Washington in 2015 and 2016. So that's kind of that's kind of how I would put it, is just looking at everything there is to look at. It's all sorts of pro football focused stats, which they keep adding to. It's watching the tape back every game. It's being in the locker room every day and, and talking to people and talking to Kirk himself about what he saw and what he thinks and how he's leading the team. And then you put it all together, and you know what? It's not surprising that they went 8-7-1 and one because there were a lot of shortcomings this year. That doesn't mean that it always has to be that way over these next two seasons of his contract, but I don't know how anyone could objectively look at this last season and not say this was well short of what we expected.
0: That's fair, and you mentioned a couple of things there. And you said background, and you talked about watching the tape. And one of the things that I've I've seen kind of levied against you is criticism. Is you know how do we know that you know what you're talking about when you're watching tape or or any of those things? I guess what is your background, um, and and kind of how did you come into you know, yeah, grinding the tape and, and making the evaluations that you make because you do a great job. And uh, I know with, with the stats, I don't think anyone's really ever come at you from from that angle. But I have seen people kind of question you when it comes to like your your tape evaluations, like what's your background there? And kind of how did you get into to grinding the tape and making those sorts of evaluations?
1: Well, the, uh, I would say with the, yeah, with the stats, um, I mean, I have a background that goes quite a ways back with analytics in, especially in hockey. And then I've applied a lot of them into football. So I feel very comfortable uh, using analytics and putting together bigger reports, using them to try and present um, what, which ones are important, which ones will tell you something, because there are a lot of numbers and the traditional stats fall into that too, that do tell you lies or don't really read lead you to the conclusions that make sense with the tape. And that's what we're trying to always marry, right? Is what you see at the game on Sunday with the bigger picture and how that compares across the league, uh, to tell you how good your quarterback was really. And as far as the tape grinding, I have always approached this journalistically. Uh, I, do a lot of research on football. Like I know you guys do as well. I've got Bruce Arians book in front of me, the quarterback whisperer. I have, you know, other, other books that I have uh, bought and read as just a researcher and for fun about things like that. And I follow a lot of the same people you follow and interview those types of people. Ted Wynn from the athletic, we all like his work, but my biggest resource is the people. Uh, I do the podcast with Sage Rosenfeld. So a lot of times we watch some of the tape together and I ask questions to him. What do you see there? What happened on this play? And then going to the players after games in the locker room and getting their takes on these things of what to look at. And not all these conversations are on the record. uh, And I've learned a lot from certain people. I mean, Terrence Newman was one of them where I could always go to Terrence Newman and ask him what happened on this play or what happened on that play. And that's a, a tremendous resource that I'm really glad to be able to have. And that always helps me. I, I don't think by any means that I know everything about what's going on out on tape. I think even the, the scouts who watch it, the people in the front offices who don't know the plays, like the pro football focus criticism they always get. Uh, but, that, but that, you know, Bill Belichick talked about this one time of trying to make conclusions by watching tape where there are sometimes only so much you can figure out. So a lot of times it brings questions for me that I can go get answered. So I'll watch the tape back after a game and I'll say, okay, now I know what happened on this play. You can see what happened on that play, but you know, what happened on this one? And then I can go ask somebody to explain it to me if it's something that I need to know. So, you know, I I do see a lot on Twitter of making big conclusions, taking one clip or a couple clips and putting them together and saying, Hey, look, Josh Allen is the, most accurate deep passer in history. Here's three passes that he made down the field. And, you know, you see that um, across any sport with people who are trying to make certain arguments. And, you know, that's, I I like to cross check almost anything that I'm putting out there uh, as far as tape goes to make sure that I'm giving people the most accurate depiction that I can. And if I don't know the answer to something, I'm not going to try and just fudge it or guess it's going to be something that i go and ask somebody who would know more than me
0: i'm going to need you to be careful on uh coming after the people who put a couple clips together to uh come to conclusions it's draft season right now (laughs) that that is twitter right now so you know you already have enough problems with vikings twitter i don't want you to have draft twitter in your mentions for all of eternity uh another question i did have for you because another thing that i saw and i've seen i think there was actually a poll about it that i thought was kind of funny um you know, people, I think, what was the poll? What was the poll question? Uh, yeah, vote if you think you could do uh, you know, this job or Matthew Collar's job better than him or you could become a better beat reporter than Matt Collar. Something, oh, that, something to that effect. Something to that effect where where someone, I guess, whose feelings you'd hurt on the internet basically, <laughs> um, yeah, wanted to, to see if they could have other people rally to their side of saying that they could do your <laughs> job better than, than you can, which is funny to me because I think that, You are, you know, one of the best analysts that we've had in quite some time. And uh, I love, I'd say, the vast majority of the stuff that you put out. Um, So maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm biased in that regard. But can you tell me a little bit? Because I think that's something that comes up a lot. Sports fans tend to think that we can all do your job. Um, And that's something that we've actually never talked about when, when you've been on the pod previously or on our interactions on Twitter uh, could you give me a little bit about just the background and the work that goes into getting to a position where you are now, where you do get to write about sports and be on the radio talking about sports and all those things? Because everyone really thinks that it is super easy and that <laughs> tomorrow I can, uh, you know, basically start my blog, you dot know, com, and in uh, my podcast, and then uh, in a couple weeks I will be on uh, Score North uh, taking Matthew Collins job.
1: Well, I want to say that climbing the pocket does a great job. So that's one thing that I've always been a fan of you guys and I wouldn't say you guys couldn't do it. I would say a lot of people could do it. Absolutely. A lot of people could cover football and, uh, I don't know who did your poll. Um, but <laughs> then I would say, then, then take my job then, uh, you know, like if, if you think you can do it, then come do it. Um, you know, for me, it took a lot of work to, to be where I'm at. I started out, I had to, uh, buy, time on a local sports station on Saturdays by going and selling my own ads, um, uh, to get a one hour show that I did in Rochester, New York for six months until I was hired to work for $7 an hour as a board op in Buffalo. And then I had to work for three years at minimum wage while I lived in low income housing, uh, for a couple of years doing that until I finally got a full-time job as a producer, which paid me $18,000. And uh, then I got a raise once to $20,000. So that was nice. And so I had to do that for a few more years while driving an hour every other night to go cover the American Hockey League for my station before I could uh, get bumped up to do Buffalo Bills pre and post game show, which didn't pay any more money, actually. And then, you know, I moved here and got the job here uh, after doing that for a long time and had to you know, pretty much just proved that I could do reporting and be on the air and all those things to the people that are here in this market. So, Hey, I mean, if anybody wants to do those sorts of things, that's what it takes for almost anybody in this industry that you have to start out earning a, like almost no money for a very, very long time. And no matter how much talent you think you have, you have to climb the ladder. And that is not an easy thing to do, but along the way, it's really worth it. And, uh, you know, because, I covered minor league baseball. I did play by play for it. I did American hockey league coverage, which I learned a lot of uh, about pro sports just by covering the minor leagues. And then, you know, when you do get your opportunity to cover the Minnesota Vikings, you know, you really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I like to have fun with people on Twitter. I like to go back and forth. I like to come up with fun arguments and fun debates and then have fun debating those things with, with people. And you know what, everywhere I've ever been, People get their feelings hurt because they don't have his, uh, an argument or because they don't like to go back and forth with people and they think you're being too aggressive. But, I mean, I, just, I have a good time with it, and I think it's really valuable because I get a lot of ideas of things to write about just from having conversations with Vikings fans. So, you know, in, in a way, like, I feel a little bad that people get so upset about it sometimes online. But in another way, it does make me laugh a little bit with, you know, could you do a better job? Like maybe, but you got to actually get there first. So good luck with that.
0: Yeah. So after telling that whole story of, of what, you know, what seemed to be a very long kind of climb to, to where you are now, what was it that made you want to do this in the first place? Cause that's a lot, like you really have to love it and really, 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 really want to get it to go through kind of, that climb that you did with the the hours that you were putting in and the money that you were making. What was it or when did you figure out that this is the career that you wanted to pursue?
1: Well, I think I always thought I could do it. Uh that was a big part of it was that I was always making some sort of progress and I had a, a lot of people who were, you know, very helpful in the way here that were always sort of pushing me along saying stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. I mean, I used to Uh, train interns when I was a producer in Buffalo. And one of the things I would see a lot is people thought that there was a shortcut that they thought, Oh, now that I'm an intern, they'll just give me a job and then they'll just give me a sports radio show. And when that didn't happen, a lot of them just dropped out of the business and did something else because that's not how it works. I mean, it takes a very long time. And, and, you know, all of my colleagues in the media room with the Vikings, they all get the same stuff here, there on Twitter, you know, why, why didn't you write this? You're an idiot for bringing up that and all those sorts of things. And I kind of take that as all just part of the fun of us being passionate about sports. Uh, But you know, all these people had to travel some sort of road, whether it was coming out of college and just interning and going to the next thing and to the next thing and the next thing, to be able to get here. And for every person that is covering the Vikings on a daily basis, there's a thousand people that decided that they didn't wanna go through that grind or they didn't have the talent to do it and they dropped out. Now, look, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I can't do anything else. (laughs) Like the reason why is because, I mean, I worked at a grocery store before and I couldn't stand that. Uh, I couldn't be a lawyer. I couldn't be a doctor. I couldn't be an engineer. That's what my little brother does. I couldn't fix a car. I can barely, you know, change the wheel if it falls off or whatever. Like, I don't have any other discernible skills in this life. So I figured I better stick with this or I'm going to end up back working in my grocery store. So that was pretty much it. But, you know, I, I, don't by any means want to sound like, you know, I'm a hero of some kind for sticking with this and, and, and doing it, but only to present how sort of funny it is that, you know, uh, anybody would bring that up it's like yeah well you know a lot of people think they can do it and if you could you would have
0: well all right then and you said no discernible skills i feel like you're being a little harsh on yourself i mean when was the last time you laced up the skates have you been on the ice a <laughs> <already>? <laughs> oh
1: buddy oh i can't play hockey at all uh <laughs> i mean i have i have uh i've got skates and i have a stick and i've got a puck and every so often i'll skate around and whip that thing at the, at the empty cage, but I cannot get up and down the ice. That was the other thing is that, uh, my 40 is slow. My shot is money in basketball, but the slowness is a problem. And the, I mean, I'm six, two, but six, two is short in basketball. So, you know, pro pro athletics just weren't really going to happen, but you know, you would be amazed though, in this business, just how. Uh, how similar it is to sports, you know, it's competitive, which is one of the fun parts of it to me, you know, that uh, we're all sort of working the same team, but we're all looking for different angles. And what we're trying to do is bring people the best uh, information and the most unique angles and whatever that we can. And that to me is, that to me is a lot of fun. I mean, so that's the thing, you know, with the Antonio Brown conversation, it's like, I thought it was a fun conversation to have because there is a good case for going after Antonio Brown and there's a good case for not going after Antonio Brown. And when you have that, you've got a good conversation. So, you know, I, I, I think that um, you're always going to, there are always going to be some people who get upset with you when you have debates and they're you know passionate and you know, everybody is interested in the team. And uh, I kind of accept that as we go along the way. And I think the vast majority of people uh, like having those conversations and find it fun. And they go to wherever they work and they say, this idiot on Twitter was saying they should get Antonio Brown. And then his buddy says, maybe you're the idiot. And you know, I just envisioned this sort of being a, a fun thing to do in the middle of February, but you know, I, maybe not everyone saw it that way.
0: No, I actually appreciated the Antonio Brown conversation because it, uh, it actually got me to go back and, and kind of look at the numbers that I was looking at for Kirk cousins relative to a supporting cast and update things at the end of the season because when the season ended I just I wanted nothing to do with Vikings stuff for a little while so I just wasn't (laughs) really doing any of like the digging into the numbers or all that stuff and then after digging in it just kind of made me sad all over again because I think just in being on Twitter all the time it kind of had conditioned me to believe that Kirk Cousins was in this terrible situation for a quarterback and then when I actually went and looked at uh kind of the numbers that I was looking at when you look at You know, the quality of his receivers, the pressure that he faced, how good his defense was, his running game and all of those things. And, you know, his his situation was like the sixth most QB friendly based on the metrics that I was looking at. So the Antonio Brown thing, it, it hurt because even if the Vikings had the best receiving core in the league, they'd only really bump up to like fourth best situation for Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. And if you left everything else equal and gave him like the best protection in the league, which we know is not going to happen next year, we're not going from where we were to the absolute best. They're still only going to be like top four or so situation because of how good the receivers already are. So the improvement's going to have to come from someplace else. And I really hope that uh, Kubiak and Co. are are miracle workers because, yeah.
1: I think we're yeah I think we're that in in two parts it's like they did have a lot of success with the the two wide receivers but it seemed like in this very specific type of situation which just so happens to correlate to be really important for top quarterbacks that was where it showed up the biggest right so like Phelan and Diggs of course were spectacular all season long and probably could have even been better if Cousins took some risks but You know, every time it was third and five or more, that was when teams knew exactly what to do. And especially in the second half of the season and cousins could not find a way to solve it. And the other thing is too, that I think about the personnel that's around him and where Kyle Rudolph fits in in all of this. And with Keenum, he was willing to just throw it high and let Kyle Rudolph reach up with his big giant mitts and catch it. And it just didn't seem like Kirk Cousins was going to use him that way. He needed to be open to throw it. So it's like, okay, well, now you you have to have that other option on third down and seven because you're going to have a lot of those throughout a game. And that's where I think that you're right, that they had actually a pretty good supporting cast for him overall. And usually the tackles have a lot more to do with uh, impacting the quarterback with pressure from the outside as opposed to inside. Um, At least that's what the pro football focus numbers have found, that the outside pressure causes more problems. The tackles were okay the, uh, and so I think that his supporting cast actually was pretty decent, especially when you look around the league. I mean, my gosh, imagine being Josh Rosen last year and having, you know, Colby Gossett start when he couldn't even get on the field for the Vikings. Uh, But, you know, as compared to the rest of it, um, he did have a good supporting cast. It's just that one situation that keeps drives going and gets points on the board when you're at the. 50 yard line after two completions or something, and you need that third and six, it just seems so often it wouldn't happen. And that's where, whether it's Antonio Brown or not, I think that if you're talking about a number two tight end or possibly number one, if they don't decide to stick with Rudolph or a number three wide receiver, I mean, I think these things are absolutely vital for this quarterback where, you know, maybe other quarterbacks, it wouldn't have to be, uh, but with him, it was, and then, you know, only running play action 19% of the time, is a crime and John Filippo should be in jail for that. Um, <laughs> not, not really.
0: Not, so, really, not really. And so but, if it's you, cause I know that you're soon going to be heading to uh you know, football Mecca to go and, uh, and time got, did you, do you have your watch ready to do some, uh, some hand times to make sure that, you know, the forties are where there's <laughs> and all those things. Um What kind of like, if you're the Vikings, now we look at this off season. obviously Kirk cousins is here. He's the quarterback. He's what we got. Um, and obviously all the Vikings fans, I think many would be happy if we took you know, an offensive lineman with the first three picks in the draft. We know that's not going to happen. But if it's you, Matt Collar, going in to this offseason, how are you addressing it to, to get Cousins into the best situation that we can make with what we have at our disposal at this point?
1: It's, it's such a fun question to talk about because there are more holes than there is money in draft picks. And so it's going to be really interesting to see which holes they decide are the ones that they must fix and which ones they fix sort of for the future and which ones they just have to kind of leave open. Like if you're adding up on both sides of the ball, you have to fill three technique defensive tackle. You have to fill linebacker. And as long as Anthony Harris is a restricted free agent, we've sort of written him in already, but he is a restricted free agent. So you've got to fill the safety unless you're bringing Sudejo back, which they probably won't. So you've got at least three positions on the defensive side that they have to address, two guard positions that they have to address, a number three receiver, possibly a number two tight end. And they can't only rely on Mike Boone as their number two running back. So you've got all these things. So how are you going to distribute the assets across those things. Like, are you going to try to fix? I was thinking about this today, just at random with Andy Levitre. There was some news with Andy Levitre that he thinks he's healthy. Like that's probably a one year deal for like 5 million bucks for that guy. Right. Cause he's going to be 33. Is that the way they go to try and fill the guard or do they draft a tackle and hope that their tackle can play day one at left tackle Or does Juwan Taylor drop to them and they put him at right tackle and move Brian O'Neill around? I mean, this thing has so many options and uh, I've already done a number of draft simulations. I'm sure you were wondering about that. And, you know, a lot of them come out similar to last year where if you try to wait until the second round to get that offensive lineman, you might end up in trouble. So there's a good case for them taking an interior defensive lineman to take a tight end. And so really, as we go into this draft, we have to look at everything. Except for probably cornerback, although it is still Mike Zimmer. But you almost have to look at every single position outside of quarterback and cornerback for who they could take in the first and second round. And then uh, that will, I guess, will we'll have more clarity as we get to the free agency uh, part of things. But, you know, I think they have just an innumerable amount of options. And then when you start to add in the possibility of moving on from Everson Griffin or Kyle Rudolph, I mean, it even gets more vast the number of possibilities which makes for them being one of the most interesting teams in the NFL this offseason.
0: All right, Matt, well, uh, you've been you've been incredibly gracious with your time. So just a couple more questions to go and uh let you get out of here cuz I know that you do have to uh you do have to prepare for uh for for more football and football I, and football. I am
1: actually keeping one eye on the Wolves here. So, <laughs> we got a little, little little basketball tape crime. You really are truly really a glutton
0: for punishment, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, last two questions.
0: Um, I guess the first one, what article have you written since you've become, you know, a, a, someone who covers the Vikings, the Vikings beat reporter, and now Vikings, uh, I guess, radio personality? Is that the, the appropriate term? That,
1: that'll work, yep, that'll okay. work. Okay, what
0: what take is it that you've put out there that has got you the, uh, the biggest backlash so far?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, there were There were a few, I would say, as far as takes go. Uh, Cordero Patterson to running back was one that uh, brought about a lot of hashtag engagement, I would say, um, because there were a number of people who were incredibly passionate about wanting Cordero Patterson to be tried at running back, and then others who thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the entire world, and I guess when Bill Belichick did it, it became a lot less ridiculous, Um, but the other one was Anthony Barr is a pure pass rusher, which um, eventually Anthony Barr started just saying he wants to rush the passer all the time. But a couple of years ago, you know, it wasn't quite clear whether he was going to bounce back to the 2015 or how there was some ways to cover up his weaknesses. And and that one, uh, got a lot of interest as well, and then the one that I think people were most annoyed at is when I wrote that someone should offer sheet Adam Phelan <laughs> because you know it's like don't give anybody any ideas. But uh, it turned out that no one offer sheeted him, and definitely should have. But Antonio Brown probably is is right in that range. Um, I I think that as far as on Twitter goes, I just I have more followers now than I did then, just from covering the team for longer and people find your work and, you know, things like that. And I also think that that was one that really split people down the middle, which as far as radio goes, those are the, those are the best and most fun topics to talk about is when you have half of the fan base says yes. And half of the fan base says no. Um, so those are probably some that I remember the most. I, I really, and this is the funny thing about it is I really, tend to stay within what I know to be realistic. So like the Cordero Patterson thing, for example, someone had told me that someone had told me that he wanted to play running back. And so I was like, okay, well, let's explore this a little. Let's look at some of his plays and his numbers when he's at running back. And, you know, talk about this a little, because why not? And uh, that's always been sort of my approach is like, If it's within reason, then let's talk about it because it's the NFL and they play 16 games and the rest of the time we speculate.
0: All right. And last question for you here. You mentioned a couple earlier, but in terms of kind of learning about the game and, and, you know, growing and, and and understanding more about football as time goes along because as you just said most of the time we're not actually watching the game we're just talking about it and thinking about what the next season is going to look like or what the next thing is going to look like what are some uh, some books that you'd recommend to someone who's looking to learn more about football or who are some people they should follow on twitter to get smarter about football
1: Oh, man. Uh, First of all, the climbing the pocket folks, anyone involved with the climbing the pocket, always good content. The book I'm reading right now is really good. The quarterback whisperer by Bruce Arians. Um, I mentioned that earlier, but he has so many great stories about working with Peyton Manning, working with Andrew Luck, working with Ben Roethlisberger, the best quarterbacks, you know, some of the best quarterbacks ever. And he's also just got a great background story and uh, another one about quarterbacks that i really loved and i use this quite a bit in an article about case keenum was the making of modern quarterbacks by bruce feldman that is a terrific book uh takes you behind the scenes into like quarterback tryout camps and things like that with uh, trent dilfer and dilfer just has a ton of really really interesting things to say about that and uh You know, one that I'm trying to get into that isn't about football, but you can always learn stuff like about sports and then apply it is beta ball. You ever heard of that about um, how the uh, Golden State Warriors were built? I just bought that and I'm really excited about it. So, you know, and then there's other things like uh, my friend Bobby Peters uh, writes these books analyzing offenses and it's like really in-depth X's and O's stuff but he wrote about the Eagles third downs last year. And then this year he studied all of the Chicago bears plays on offense and then basically charted them out and explained how they worked. And if you really want to get into the deep nitty gritty of how this stuff works, uh, I basically was cross referencing his work all the time last year with John Filippo, looking back and like, okay, is this a Philadelphia Eagles play and and how does this work and how does the read work and and stuff like that is, is like, if you're super serious about it, uh, lots of fun, but you know, I mean, that's one of the things that's great that I've discovered about Vikings Twitter is people seem to have a real like thirst for learning more about the game. And that fits right in with, with me. And so it's sort of fun to learn about this stuff together.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, Matt, as always, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Got to go over quite a few topics. Safe travels on your way to Indianapolis. And uh, if you uh, you find any good rumors, make sure that you uh, you let us know about them.
1: <laughs> and, uh, uh, all I need, all I need is one Antonio Brown rumor. That's all I. Need. There you go. Just there you go. Just give me that one.
0: <laughs> but are, are we still allowed to call him Antonio Brown, or is it like Mister Big Chest now? Or <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know that that might have hurt. The, the possibility of the Vikings getting him being wanting to be called Mister Big Chest, but uh,
0: oh no, yeah, I I like to think about it. As just is making the price go down, making the <laughs> price go down.
1: I mean, there there almost there's got to be a price where every Viking fan would say, "All right, fine." Like, I mean, if it's a third round pick, who would say no? I mean, if the locker room's bad, like, what's the worst thing that happens? You go eight and seven and one again, or like, I mean. Anyway, we we don't have to get into it, but I just think that there's got to be some price where almost everyone would agree. Like, can I give you a free Antonio Brown? Like, okay, fine.
0: I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if you give us too much credit because right now on Climbing the Pocket, we have a poll that is running. We have another 13 hours left in the poll. So if you haven't voted on that, uh, you know, you should vote on that. But uh, of what will be most impactful in 2019, improved pass protection, more pass game weapons, a better offensive coordinator, or improved run blocking, Currently, pass pro is number one at 46%, followed by improved run blocking at 29%, which, makes, which makes me sad.
1: Yeah, that should followed be Followed by
0: sad. a better OC at 23%, more passing game weapons coming in at 3%. 3%? Well, that's
1: 3%. interesting. I mean, that that is really interesting because, you know, I went back and did an article comparing the 2016 Washington Football Club to the Vikings' weapons and to the supporting cast for Cousins. It wasn't close. Like, this was before the season. This wasn't even before it happened. Like, they had so many places that he could go with the football. Uh, I mean, guys who are dynamic players like uh, Jordan Reed and, and Vernon Davis and, you know, Jamison Crowder, guys who could play multiple positions and are, and are dangerous. And so there's at least five or six places he could go. Chris Thompson, one of the best receiving backs out of the backfield, I mean, they did have better pass protection than the Vikings did and it wasn't close in that season, but those weapons, I mean, r- really the answer to your poll is like three out of the four things, right? I mean, it's, if they, if they don't run block quite as well, I think they could still probably find some ways to run the football uh, as long as they you know get ahead in some games this year. But um, you know, that's, that's the thing about having Kirk Cousins as your quarterback is you need all of those things to work and it becomes a very difficult formula when you have that type of cap hit you know and so that's i'll tell you man if they find ways to fix all those things this offseason well i think that the offensive coordinator issue is already fixed so there you get you can add some points on right right there but you know if they fix the if they get more weapons around him and are able to fix the offensive line then we're looking at front office of the year again because they are in a very tight situation so that's what makes it interesting man it's a good poll boom well all right Matthew, as always, thank you. And uh,
0: you have a good one, man.
1: All right. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. Talk to you soon. Well, there it is. Our uh, interview with Matthew Collar. Uh, covered a lot of things there. A lot of stuff for us to, uh, to digest as fans. Um, and like I said before, if you uh, you like it, let me know. If you don't, let me know. Probably be looking at adding a few more interviews and, and conversations of this sort over the course of the off season. So if you have any feedback, shoot it my way. Again, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. Thanks for listening, y'all.
1: Suggesting that they get a good football player was going to be controversial, but it is.
0: Yeah, it ended up being very controversial yeah. Very, well, good. very controversial
1: it's all right. I, don't, I don't mind that